So glad to be back here and uh, see all of you. We missed you. We're grateful for your prayers and your concern and care for us and the way you minister to our hearts. Thank you for the cards that you sent. Uh, They were encouraging. And, you know, like somebody said here, well, we didn't forget you. Well, those cards were proof of that, and we do appreciate that very much. Um, I'll read a couple letters here to you, and then I'll update you on how things went in Indiana. Uh, We have a letter from Shirley Messenger just uh, encouraging us and thanking us for being having a part in her life. She says, I treasure your love and prayers. And, um, and then uh, there's, I'll, I'll hang this letter out here on the board, and you can read that. But she said down here, where is this? Oh, yeah. Since Thanksgiving in Connecticut and Christmas and New Year's with my family here, days have been busy and active. Now we're trying to catch up with normal living, she, quote, she quotes. The only thing normal these days is the setting on my washing machine. <laughs> and I'm not sure about that either. I'll tell you what, that gal has a sense of humor for sure. So I'll hang this up for you to uh, read that. And then we have a oh a letter here, prayer letter from Branton Maylou Holiday. You remember we gave towards the printing of Bibles for them. And this, just a little brief letter with some pictures, but it's a, uh, it's a summary of 2008, um, and they said in 2008 we printed altogether over 50,000 Russian, Farsi, and Ger- Georgian language Bibles. Now, Farsi is the language they speak in, in Persia, or which is Iran. And uh, there was, you know, they were involved a lot in the distribution of those scriptures, but in some places... They weren't able to do it. Matter of fact, they scheduled and, and uh, actually had made a trip to the country of Georgia, not south of here, but over in Russia, to distribute the Bibles that they had printed for that country, and they were not able to do so. And so they made some limited trips and went to some villages. But this pastor there, and I don't know his real Georgian name, but they call him Gary, Pastor Gary. But they just really admire him and, and for his devotion and commitment to the Lord. And he has taken upon himself as probably maybe one, one of, maybe the only independent Baptist pastor in the whole country, as far as I know, uh, to distribute these scriptures all over the country and up in the mountains and villages and so on. And they, they were really grateful for him and how God's um, used him, you know, to... Uh, distribute the word, and of course, we've had a part in that, so we're grateful for that. Our trip to Indiana was uh, unexpected, as you well know. Uh, We got the call on a Saturday. I don't remember what date that was, but um, uh, the story is we, and if I don't get this right, you'll straighten me out and um, help me out, but uh, I know that they went in the hospital to make it in brief and is that they went in the hospital on a Monday for Kathy to get her, to see about getting her treatment, right? Was it a second one? Had she had a chemo treatment, though? That's what I thought. Okay. 
So when she had these pains in her back and neck, you know, she was declared cancer-free after two years of treatment for breast cancer back in February. Right at Thanksgiving, she went in with pain in her back and her neck. When they did the test, they found cancer on her liver. They had to fight with the insurance company to get, there was three chemos that her cancer doctor wanted to use, and the insurance company denied one of them for various reasons. So that took two weeks. So they finally decided, okay, we'll go with the two. So she went in and had one treatment. Then the pain became so severe, even at home, they went in on Monday to see the doctor. They were going to do a second round of chemo, but her and everything looked fine, but she went back in on Wednesday, just in, from Monday to Wednesday, and they did a blood test again, and her enzymes were so high that they were unable to do the treatment, and then by Friday, she was in a coma. We got the call on Saturday, went up. You know, she stayed in a coma the rest of the time until she until she passed away. It was quite an experience, really. Uh, Janet's brother's wife uh, and Kathy Stoltz was uh, one of those unique individuals. And the only way I know to tell you about it was, you know, we come from very, 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 very small towns. My little hometown is, I'm guessing, five, 600 people. Tippecanoe doesn't even have a four-way stop, let alone a stoplight. And Argus, where Janet's from, has about 15, 16, 1,700 people, maybe 1,800 if I was an evangelist. And, <laughs> and uh, so as there are small communities, farming communities, rural Indiana. Uh, Charlie's been to my mom's house. He knows what Tippecanoe was like. Our little church, they attended church in Tippecanoe, and that was our home church. That's where I was saved and where I grew up. Uh, presently, they run maybe 70 or 80. They have been as high as maybe 120 or so, maybe 130 along in there. Uh, at the funeral, there was well over 1,000 people came to the funeral, um, my mom and my sister came. Of course, we as members of the family, we had been there uh, beginning at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday for the viewing. My mom and my sister came, and they told us that, uh, told me that they waited in line for two hours before they were able to get in to see David and, Ka uh, and Kathy in the casket. That was, the line was just incredible, incredible. We had the viewing beginning at 2 o'clock, it was supposed to end at 8. They didn't get out of there until it was after 9 o'clock before the last people left. And then it was going on 10 o'clock before they could actually leave the church. Kathy was very well known around the community, but really just a simple person, just like you and I. I mean, she was no star or starlet or prominent individual in the community as far as being well-known in that manner, but just loved by a lot of people and loved to the extent that they were willing and wanted to come out to her funeral and pay their last respects to her and to David. And of course, uh, it was overwhelming to the family. We all thought it's going to be a big funeral, but nobody thought it was going to be that big, especially for our little community. And the church was, our church, Tippecanoe Community Church would hold about, is about this size right here. It was packed, everything. The overflow rooms were packed. 
Uh, it was just a great service. There were four pastors there participating. The current pastor, who had only been there for about five weeks and had just gotten to know everybody, barely. And then uh, two former pastors came, and then they had me as a member of the family to give a tribute to Kathy, and that was an honor that they gave to me because knowing how big their family was, he could have picked one of many, many people to do that. And it was, I felt, a real privilege for me to have a part in that. So it was a great experience, a very trying experience, you know, not knowing and David said, to, he said, I guess repeatedly, many times I heard him say, you know, when they went in on Monday, we sure didn't expect this. And it just took everybody uh, very hard. They left a good testimony in the hospital uh, concerning their, their family's respect and regard and love for one another. Um, there were so many people there and so many who stayed every night with David that they gave us an entire room to stay in and and for people to sleep in. They put some extra chairs in there. They brought food up for the family. Uh, It was just really great. Even some of the staff, the word must have gotten around on the floors or something, but the chaplain heard about it. He came up just to see this crowd of people that uh, was in Kathy's room uh, surrounding her bed, uh, praying for her and and sharing in in David's uh, heartfelt grief and, and all that was taking place there. And so... We appreciate your prayers for us because it did take some inner strength to get through a week like that. And uh, it was the love of family and people like you praying for us that helped get us, get us through it all. I don't know. Was there anything key or important I left out that I should have said? I think I tried to give you the essentials without you know telling you every day what happened and everything. But uh, it, it just was quite an experience. Well... Kathy passed away on a Friday. On Sunday night, I got the word that my uncle had passed away. He was 82 and had been in declining health and, or, or well, actually had been, I shouldn't say declining health at that point, had been in ill health all of his life. Then within the last two or three months, uh, had been in declining health. And so even though it was somewhat unexpected, it was, you know, it was one of those where it wasn't entirely unexpected. His wife just passed away last July of colon cancer, and then he died here in just a few days after Kathy. So Janet came back after the funeral on Tuesday with the girls. Seth and I stayed over one more day, and we stayed for the viewing of my uncle. We weren't able to stay for his funeral because we had to get back. So uh, it was definitely a trying week. I did want to say concerning my mom, I know that, well, like I said, Charlie... He has family over there in Pearson, uh, Wanda does, so uh, they came by to see my mom one time after he found out that she had gotten saved, and uh, uh, I want to tell you something, boy, there's a real, real change in her life, and it's just, it's been great. Um, the last time I was home, you remember I went in January after one, on the one-year anniversary of my dad's death because I wanted to spend a week with her because I knew it was going to be a hard week, and... I had picked up some literature from the church and some Our Daily Breads, and it's a little devotional book, and I took those to her, and the first thing she asked me, she says, well, where can I get some more of these? I said, well, Mom, you just write to that address right there, and they'll send you one on a regular basis, and when I was there this time, we noticed that each day she had that devotional book out, 
and she was reading it, and she had her markers in her Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, where she had been reading the scriptures, and I was so, it keeps them right there by her, her, her chair, you know, where she sits, and it was, and then even in her, in her language, when my uncle passed away, uh, Janet was sitting there, and I don't remember exactly how she said this, but she said something about how the Lord uh, took care of this or that. You remember that, hon? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to hear my mom talk like that, you take note of things like that. <laughs> that was just highly unusual. I mean, it was. It would have been highly unusual except for the Lord's grace and mercy and saving her and dealing with her in the way he has. So we were really encouraged by that, and and I, I trust that we'll continue to remember her in prayer and hold her up because, uh, you know, she has a long way to grow and growing as a Christian. She's one of those people that I, you know, my, her whole family, they're just very, very private and quiet about such things, and to get her into church is it's going to take another work of God in her heart to actually break that barrier and get her there. So if there was anything you would pray for my mom about, it would be that, that, that people there would, and I have some people there praying and people that are going to contact her that somehow through that, you know, the barrier would be broken and she would begin to go to church there. Cause it's just, Oh, I don't even, it's not even, I guess it might be a half a mile away. Very, very close. So anyway, that was our trip. Trust me though. We are glad to be back. When we arrived, it was one degree above zero. During the 11 days we were there, it got above zero two times. I mean, excuse me, above 30, 32 degrees, above freezing two times. It got to 33 one day, and it got to 40 another day, and uh, that was it. The rest of the time, it was it was cold, cold, cold. So now we're back here in the land of not only warm weather, warm hearts. We appreciate that. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 4, if you would, please. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, the Bible's for Nance. Yeah, I was supposed to give an update on that. Uh, <coughs> well, I don't know a whole lot about that yet, except to say that it was a successful trip. Uh, there were several that went on the trip, and they were able to distribute all of the Bibles except for 1,200. And the interesting thing about that was there is another smaller island off the island of Nias, and there's a little a school there or two, and they're hoping and praying that there will be somebody who can uh, fly over to that little island and finish distributing those Bibles on that little island. So that's a, another prayer request that that could be accomplished in days to come. And I can't remember now, Was it? A, I think it was a total of... 40,000 Bibles that were printed, and so almost 39,000 of them have already been distributed, and they, they know where they want the other 1,200 to go. They just uh, haven't been able to get them over there just yet. In actuality, Alan Brooks said he didn't learn about that island until he was on this second trip. So had they known and been prepared, they may, could have made arrangements to fly over there and actually do it. But since they didn't know then he wasn't able to do that. And so we're still waiting for that to be accomplished. Okay. So you can keep praying. Keep your little card and keep praying for a while here now that uh, the Lord will allow that to happen and we'll see those Bibles put in. 
You know, it was one of those unique things. Every Bible, it was required. You remember I said that they had to hand that Bible individually to every student. That's 39,000 times they did that. That was a lot of work. And so we want to pray that God will bear some fruit through that and those scriptures. Oh, by the way, too, you remember the Catholic school? They got, when all these other kids got Bibles, they got so many complaints. They, they relented and said, okay, you can come give our kids Bibles too. I forgot. That was a blessing too. So all the kids on that island in the middle school, uh, in the middle school grades, every one of them got a Bible as far as we know. So that, that's great. All right. Jeremiah. We've been uh, just going through the first few chapters of this this uh, prophecy by one of God's choice prophets, Jeremiah. And he is warning Judah of a coming invasion from Babylon. And he uses the northern kingdom, Israel, which has already been taken in, into exile and has been in exile for approximately 100 years, actually a little over 100 years, <coughs> As an example of what would happen if they failed to turn and repent of their sins and come back to the Lord. And so God has been warning them concerning this. We saw in chapter 3 his warnings concerning apostasy and her, her unfaithfulness toward the Lord. Now here in chapter 4, he takes up again and he makes this statement concerning this coming judgment. And that is, it's not too late. In verse 1, he says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment and in righteousness. Now you remember over in chapter 5, in my Bible, it's across the page, but in verse 2, we see this again. He says, though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. And this was the character of the people of Israel at this time, and Judah. They were taking the Lord's name, and using it to advantage, all the while they were serving idols in Balaam. But the Lord says, if you will repent, if you will turn back to me, and then you will be able to say, as the Lord lives, in truth and in righteousness. And so he says then, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Wow. Wow. If only Israel would turn back to the Lord, even those nations surrounding Israel would know the blessings of God. They would benefit and profit from Israel's righteousness and turning to God and turning, and turning to him. But they were unwilling to do so. And in verse 3, we've read these verses in months past. Thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not 
among thorns that hardened unplowed ground, uncultivated ground. I think maybe I used that illustration. I had a vivid, vivid picture of this in my mind. My uncle, who was a farmer, and I spent many, actually years, helping him farm as a, starting from the age I was 10 until I graduated from high school and, and got a full-time job of my own, working on the farm. And you remember, in the old days, every farm was a self-sustaining farm, and they used to rotate their crops, and they would rotate from field to field, and they would grow corn in a field, maybe soybeans, then later on, they would uh, sometime, some years they would plant soybeans, and then while they planted the soybeans, the following fall, after they reaped the harvest, they would plant winter wheat. Then the following summer, they would harvest the wheat. Well, in with that wheat, they had planted hay. So when they harvested the, the wheat or the oats or whatever it might have been, then that hay would begin to grow, and then they could reap hay off of that for two or three years. And then following that, they could bring and change it into a pasture field. Well, this particular pasture field had been left that way for several years. And when we went into there one spring to plow, the ground was so hard that my uncle had to take his biggest tractor and use his smallest plow in order to plow the field up. And... It, it was just very, very hard. As we worked our way, or excuse me, I should say, as he worked his way into the center of the field where cattle don't spend as much time as they do out around the fence, then the field, the soil became softer, and we were finally able to bring all the tractors in, and we were able to finish the field up. That's what he's talking about here. Ground that was fallow, very, very hard. Reminds you of Matthew 13. In the parable of the soils, when the sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed and it fell on that hardened ground and it couldn't take any root. And the birds came along and, and gobbled it up in no time. Jeremiah is saying that the men of Israel had hearts just like that. So hard that when the seed of God's word was sown on their hearts, it just it's just like it just bounced off. It had absolutely no effect. And yet, these were the same people that went around saying, as the Lord lives, da-da-da-da. See, they were, playing, they were playing the spiritual game. They were trying to work it from both angles as many people do today. Many use words of praise the Lord on their lips or if God wills, I'll do this. And yet they just go on and live their life as if God doesn't really even have a part in their life. It's just, you know, Christian lingo that we use. A false way of portraying your Christianity. And God will judge that. He will judge it in, in all of us. And as we go throughout this chapter, we'll see the word heart mentioned 
several times. I think in this chapter, more than any other single chapter throughout Jeremiah, um, <coughs> I went through and checked them all, and I don't remember of seeing one with any more times with the word heart occurring than in this chapter here. And so in verse 4, he talks about that word heart. Well, actually, in verse 3, and he says, uh, or in verse 4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. So not only does he talk about the uncultivated ground, but he talks about circumcision. And the, instead of the cutting away of flesh, the cutting away of the hardness of their hearts. To prepare themselves, to set themselves in order to hear the word of God, to hear the message of the prophet, to listen concerning the judgment that's coming from the north because it's going to come. And so he tells them, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Over in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10, just take a jump over there. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 6, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Now, this is the ear here. <coughs> Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach and they have no delight in it. So this metaphor or this word uncircumcision used as a metaphor to describe the condition of their heart or their ears as to their willingness to hear the word of the Lord, and they were not. Yet on the other hand, and we're not going to turn here because of time, but if we were to turn to Jeremiah 31, verse 33, concerning the new covenant, you remember what God says there concerning their hearts? There's coming a day, he says, when they will have a new heart a heart of flesh, and not a heart of stone. And that's a promise that God has given that Israel has clung to, and we cling to, that God will do for us. And that we will have the kind of heart that would be well-pleasing unto him, and honoring unto him. Verse 5, Declare ye in Judah, and publish in Jerusalem, and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, and that word cry means to cry aloud with your full voice. Let it be known. Gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense cities. Set up the standard towards Zion. That is to say, raise, raise a signal to flee to Zion. That is, when you raise the signal, you remember Zion was high on a hill. It was a fortified city. There was a, Jerusalem was a walled city. The other smaller villages surrounding were unwalled. They didn't have defenses. And so when they give the signal to run to the defense city, that's what Jeremiah's pleading for them to do. He says, you better run because it's coming. Judgment is sure. And then he says, retire. That word retire means get away, take refuge. Without delay, that is, the word stay not. Take refuge without delay, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. And then he gives all this description concerning 
the country of the north, which we know is Babylon. And it shall come to pass in verse 9, At that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. That is the devastation, the fear, the wonder, the, the awe of this army will be so powerful that even the leaders of the nation will lose heart and they'll have no courage and valor will be gone. Nothing to resist this enemy when they come marching in from the north. And then Jeremiah Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace, for as the sword reaches unto the soul, or some say, translate, unto the throat. And it seems like kind of an enigmatic verse here from the lips of Jeremiah, who's it appears as if he's accusing God of deceiving the people. But I think there's a very clear and plain explanation for, for the kind of thinking that Jeremiah has here. And I want us to see that. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings 21. And then look at verses 20, verse 20, I think. <coughs> uh, let's see here. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. Somewhere right around there. Let's look at verse 21. Behold, he says, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that uh, pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, and for the provocation wherewith Thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, see, I knew that didn't sound right because I'm reading in chapter 21. I said, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong one. I said, that doesn't even, you know, it's something when you study these and you look, I knew this was right on the inside here. It was always, it was bugging me already just because I knew it wasn't in the right position. All right, let's go it again. Verse 20, and the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? This is the Lord speaking. And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit, and stood before the Lord, and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. I'm sorry, I'm in First Kings chapter 22. I was in 21, and I was supposed to be in 22. I'm sorry. And then I'm in verse... Uh, I'm in verses, or I, I read verses 21, 22, uh, 20, 21, 22. I get it. All right, we'll do them again. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth. And I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. The point being here that God sent forth this spirit 
to put a lie in the mouth of the prophets. And that seems to be the best answer back here for what Jeremiah was saying. In that you have deceived these people through the prophets. You put a lying spirit in their mouths and they have prophesied lies. But the reason for that was because of their refusal to repent. And so they, God refused to tell them the truth through these prophets. And he called up Jeremiah to be the one to speak to the nation. And it's why in these various confrontations they had, uh, the, you know, the, the, um, the king and the priests and so on were dependent upon these false prophets. And they wanted to hear a good word. They wanted to hear a favorable word. You remember Micaiah had the same experience when Ahab said, you know, come, come and, you know, I want, I want to know if there's a, uh, a prophet here in Israel. And they said, well, there's a guy, Micaiah. And he said, well, go get him. But he, and then he said, well, we don't like him because he, he never prophesies good to us, only evil. And all the other prophets were prophesying falsely. They were saying, ah, go up and fight against them at Ramoth Gilead, and you'll have great success. And so Micaiah comes, and apparently, it doesn't say so in Scripture, but you have to infer this from the way the language goes. Micaiah came along and he said, yeah, go ahead and go up. You'll win. Almost like it was tongue-in-cheek, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You'll win. And so the king came back and said, I told you, prophesy good. You never tell me the truth. And so then Micaiah told him, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to fall in defeat. These lying prophets... Because of their Israel's refusal to listen to the Lord, to repent and turn to him, prophesied falsely. Do you know what they prophesied? Good things. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Everything's all right. It's just like saying, you know, they would say, Jerusalem, this is where God has chosen to put his name. This is where the temple is. It's going to be all right. That's like saying, I'm saved. What have I got to worry about? If I die, I'm going to heaven. It's going to be okay. When they don't realize that God is going to carry out his judgment. Whether it's on Israel or whether it's the house of God. Because that's where he says judgment begins, at the house of the Lord. Now, I want us to take a look at something here, too, concerning circumcision. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. And <coughs> we'll probably have to save good portion of this for another time. Verse uh, 20, 
5, Romans chapter 2, verse 25 says, For circumcision verily profits, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, he's telling the Jew that you cannot trust solely in your circumcision of the flesh. Just like he would tell us, you cannot trust solely in the fact that you're saved. That's not good enough. You have to be circumcised in heart as well. And he tells them in verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, that is, those who are physically uncircumcised, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Because his heart was right. The one uncircumcised in flesh, but who practiced righteousness, he would be counted as if he was circumcised. It was the heart that made the difference. Now in verse 27, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, that is, circumcised in the flesh. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. Now, if that's true for the Jew... How much more do you think for us? It's the heart. To know the Lord as Savior, to know my, I have a right relationship with God in the sense that when I die, I have no fear of His having an eternal judgment on me is one thing. But to know that you are right in your heart with the Lord, he says here, is is another thing altogether. Now, I want us to look at a couple more passages here. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. And I'm going to work extra hard here to get the right chapter. Mm -hmm. We got it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, and again, it's always good to think about the context. Moses is speaking to the people, the, the new generation. You remember the old generation had died. They were off the scene, those who rebelled against the Lord, and they weren't allowed to enter the land. He's now speaking to the new generation. And so he's going back to rehearse all the things that God had previously told the old generation of of Israelites. Now he's telling the new generation, and he's reminding them in verse 16, he says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more (coughs) stiff-necked. This was not an unusual message that Jeremiah was preaching. 
nor it was as something new that Paul was preaching to the church at Rome. But this is something that God had for Israel from the very beginning. And it was never, I think I heard somebody here the other day say that Brother Wilson used to say the law was never meant to save anybody. You know, that's, that's true. It was never meant for that. And so if we think that outwardly we have everything right, but our heart is not, then we're only deceiving ourselves. And we have bought into a great big lie. And Acts chapter, well, let's go skip that one. Let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse, beginning with verse 11. <coughs> it says there, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, that's your heart. He's talking about the circumcision of your heart, not the body of flesh. Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, in verse 13, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, the uncircumcision... Of your flesh. Though you be Gentiles, outwardly, not a part of the nation of Israel, you're not a Jew, you're not a part of the family of God in that respect, but because of the faith of Christ and the operation of His work in your heart by being buried with Him in baptism, then He says He has. He has put off the body of the sins of the flesh. And that's an important work for us to know. And so Jeremiah here, back in chapter 4, you know, he's, he's to not be facetious or anything, but he's just going to the heart of the matter. He's taking it, as you and I would say it, to the jugular. He's going right after Israel, telling them, this is the heart of the matter, and it's your heart. Matter of fact, in verse 14, well, actually, I need to go back up there to um, eleven. Where it says, at that time shall it be said to this people and to Jerusalem a dry wind of the high places in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan, nor to cleanse, even a full wind from those places shall come unto me. Now also will I give sentence against them. That is to say, this dry wind, it comes from the, a Greek word 
for the Hebrew here, Sirocco. And you may have seen, remember, Volkswagen has, has a, I don't know if they still have it or not, but they used to have a model car called a Sirocco. That's where the word came from. And it means this dry wind that came off the deserts of North Africa. It would blow across the entire Mediterranean area, even over into to southern Europe, to Italy and places like that, but even over into the Middle East. And he's simply telling them, my judgment, this, this army coming down to you from the north is going to come against you like one of these dry winds. I saw a satellite picture of uh, uh, an example of that over the Mediterranean. And I mean, I wasn't the whole thing, but maybe a third of the, of the whole Mediterranean was covered with a cloud of sand and dust that blew off the desert. And he even tells them there in such, such, it's almost humorous, the descriptive language. He says, and pardon my language here, but it ain't going to be no breeze. It ain't going to be a breeze, he says, because it's, this is not a breeze that blows chaff away and cleanses the grain. He says, this is going to be a full wind. All the fury and strength of Babylon is going to come against you. And so in verse 14, he pleads with them again, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts <coughs> lodge within thee? Look down at verse 18. Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reaches unto thine heart. Now these verses here, 5 through 18, when, if you were to, and we haven't taken the time to read these today, simply for time, because we're actually out, and I'm going to close with this, is that these verses are written, or if you read these verses all together, it sounds like the thing's already happened. It's occurred. These are written in the present tense. All of these verbs. Yet if you read them, it sounds like it's yet a prophecy. And it is a prophecy of what's to come, but Jeremiah says it as if it's already happened. Evidently to give greater impact or force to his words. But this is what it's going to be like. These things are the things that will be accomplished when God sends his judgment from the cities or the nation of the north. In verse, back up to verse 17 now, he says, As keepers of a field are they against her roundabout, because she hath been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. And, the Lord, and we're not even done yet. When we, we'll be, take up with verse 19 next week, and you may want to read ahead there, but Jeremiah just comes back. And with further descriptive language in which he doesn't, you know, he doesn't repeat himself. He just keeps adding more and more to impress upon Judah the consequences of her sins, of her failure to repent and turn back to him. You know, that's a strong, strong lesson for you and I today. To be sure that our hearts are right before him. That we are walking in 
faithfulness. You remember we mentioned, I think it was a couple weeks, well, it's obviously a couple weeks ago now, three, three weeks ago or so, <coughs> in speaking about the law and the superiority of walking in the Spirit over the law. And that's what Jeremiah has really been talking about here to the people of Israel. The prophets who prophesied as in a righteous way before the Lord, that is to say, the prophets that God actually sent to preach to the nation of Israel repentance and righteousness, to assure them of the future coming peace and the Messiah who would come to deliver them, honored those who were Jews who were circumcised in heart above those who were circumcised in the flesh, though they were all from the same nation. And one day there's going to be a division just like that in his church. When the church is called forth before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be the same kind of a division. There is going to be a separation between the wheat and the chaff. And the chaff is going to be blown away and removed. I don't know about you. Well, I do know. You want to be a part of the wheat, don't you? And so do I. It pays to walk in the fear of the Lord and to know him. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out in the coming verses. The Lord says, they haven't known me. And yet we find out they're saying, as the Lord lives, you see, they're, they're playing this, this game with Jehovah. And he says, but they don't, they don't know me. But yet they were circumcised Jews. We don't want to find ourselves that way when it comes our time to meet him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, this privilege and joy of knowing you, of knowing your word, of the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Lord, I pray that this message, which you have privileged us with knowing, you've revealed it to us, given it to us in our hearts, that we might carry it around with passion and that we might be fully desirous of serving you with all of our life. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name.